Hey everyone, it's Andy and Phil. We're your co-hosts for the Burning Creative Podcast. For those of you who don't know us, we're the partners over at Muddy Shutter Media and we're excited to have you listening to our show. This is a podcast about creativity, inspiration, and passion in the creative community. This show is sponsored and supported by MSM and therefore, no ads, all talk. We hope you enjoy the content and don't forget to subscribe, like, and follow our Instagram page at Burning Creative Podcast. Jumping right in, let's introduce today's guest. All right, everyone. Today we have Connor Gabbett with us. Connor, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Connor is a visual storyteller based out of Vancouver. He does amazing work. You will probably see some of his work in magazines, in short form content, and heck, even you guys did a feature film at one point, didn't you? Yeah. Or se- um, like semi feature film? Yes, yeah, semi feature. Yeah, semi. Yeah. So. You know, we we obviously at MSM, we've enjoyed your work. And I know you and I have chatted a bunch, just kind of like shooting ideas back and forth. And when we started this podcast, that was my first thought was, hey, let's get Talus Creative up here and, and talk business, talk creativity. And yeah, if you don't mind, just give everybody kind of a lowdown on your bio and, and your background and how you found yourself here. Sure. So uh, I'm based out of Vancouver, Canada. And uh, I started, well, when I started working, I was a chef for 20 years, essentially. So I started when I was 15 and uh, worked at a bunch of different restaurants from kind of like more casual ones to more upscale ones. And then I finished my career the last seven or eight years I spent working for one company and I was a product development chef. So essentially what I did is they had about 35 or almost 40 stores across the country and down into the States. And so my job was I looked after uh, 10 or 12 stores, this one concept, and it was my job to create the menu for this concept and then train the chefs and design the kitchens and stuff like this. So basically anything that was like food related for this concept is what I was ultimately responsible for. So yeah, it it was good. I I loved it. I mean, my passion for cooking is as strong as it's ever been, but I would say about maybe four years ago or so, I picked up a camera to document a hunt that my buddy and I were doing just kind of fun little project and ended up making a a super short, super rough (laughs) little film on, uh, on Apple iMovie. And we started showing it to uh, some friends and family and just to kind of share what we do out there. And they loved it and we loved it. And at that point I was just kind of hooked. Like I found it super interesting to, to capture and like tell those stories. So that passion for storytelling and for photography and a little bit of film grew over the last couple of years. And it got to a point where I felt that maybe I could make a go out of it. And I was just about to turn 35 and hit my 20 year mark in the industry. So uh, I said, screw it. Why not? Like now's the time. Cashed in my chips and I got out basically at the end of July last year. So August 1st, I, I went full-time in the creative content space. And yeah, I've been doing it ever since, which isn't very long. <laughs> hey, that's that's awesome. And, you know, I, I kind of want to dig into your past a little bit here with being a chef. Mm-hmm. What was it like creating and, and being in charge of, of kind of like conceptualizing new products and, you know, training people to make that product? Yeah. How, how, how was that like? Yeah. So, I mean, in, in terms of the old career, creativity it plays a huge part in being a chef, obviously, and especially when you're in a position where you're in charge of designing new dishes all the time. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, I wasn't working online for the last eight years. I worked nine to five and essentially that gave me the space uh, and the freedom to, you know, really get kind of more creative. 
and also right. exposed me to, I'd say more of like the nuanced aspects of being a chef and, and mm-hmm. creating food and even into like design. So whether that's kitchen design or whether that's just being a part or observing kind of like restaurant design. So there's, sure. you know, the aesthetics of things, you know, shapes and colors and lines and just how we perceive or how we interact with whether that's a plate or food or a chair or any of that. So mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I was super lucky in that, you know, the, the job that I did as a chef really kind of molded me into, sorry, not molded me into, but just kind of gave me the space to explore those things. And it just kind of helped me round myself out, I think, to go and pursue, yeah, a different career. Sure. And so is there, is there kind of like a parallel you found that, that translated over to photography and, and content creation? Uh, I mean, for sure. Like just obviously just like the general creativity side of things, mm-hmm. I think... Yeah, I think kind of like framing, I guess, would be kind of the same. It's very relatable, right? Whether you're framing Mm -hmm. something on a plate, you know, and even something as simple as a burger, like how you how you build that and and the colors and all that kind of stuff versus framing uh, a picture. Like it's not that much different. You know, you've -hmm. you've got a bit of a border. You've got your main focal point. You've got, you know, all the colors that you want to ideally work together. So, yeah, I think from that sense, it, it definitely is relatable. Right, right. And it's pretty interesting, too, because you kind of we're at that point in your career where, like you said, you were not only designing the menus and the dishes, but down to the environment that it was presented in, right? And I think we spoke about this off the podcast, but in my past life, I was an architect. And, you know, that's that's one thing that you always try to design is everything as a whole. You're, you know, you're not just in a vacuum where, and I imagine as a chef, it's not, you're just not just looking at the dish, right? Totally. It's like, how is this dish being presented? What's the silverware? You know, what's the environment like? What's the mood like? Yeah. And yeah, I, I don't know how it translates into photography and creative stuff, but but at the at the end of the day, yeah, you kind of have to think about more than just your subject, right? You have to think about its context and, and almost yeah. like the story that it, it builds in. And I imagine, heck, if, if I was walking to a restaurant and I saw like memorabilia or, or a certain type of material, a certain type of lighting, you know, my body and like my mind is like almost ready to, to receive whatever you're, you're serving up to me on a platter, right? (laughs) Pun pun intended. Um, So it's, I guess with photography, it might be the same thing where, you know, you work from a large landscape to, and then start zooming in, you know, to your subject and then shooting macro shots. So that's kind of, you know, me getting long-winded, but I'm totally starting to see that connection now that I'm, I'm talking to you about food and, and how you're translating it into your creative photography. Yeah, no, you, you're totally right. It, it's, yeah, it definitely translates. And the more we talk about it, the more I think about it, for sure. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I could go on a riff and we could talk about like how you interact <laughs> with food and like how your palate right. tastes things. And it's like, if I didn't have that last position where I was a product development chef, you don't often have the space and the time to mm-hmm. dive that deeply into something. So right. yeah, it kind of opens up your mind. And there was a great saying when I first came on board uh, with that company, my executive chef told me, he's like, you don't know what you don't know until you don't know it. So it's like, I never would have thought about, you know, how food actually interacts with our tongue and like, you know, how we actually physically taste things. And, but I didn't know that I didn't know it until I got there. And then he starts asking me questions about it or, you know, starts pushing me to to learn more. So yeah, same thing with photography. Like unless you actually have the space and time to think about that and actually like get into the nitty gritty and the layers of that image, then I think it's hard to kind of get stuck in, especially if you don't know about it. Right. Absolutely. If that makes sense. <laughs> no, it, it does. It does. And it's, um, you know, it's almost like you said, getting into the nuances about how we taste food and, and the physicality of it. I mean, I guess 
for me with photography, you know, when you first start, you kind of take a picture and you're like, oh, someone's just going to like look at this picture and they're going to like it or not. But then once you start diving into it, it's like, oh, you know, how can I lead their eye? You know, what about texture in this part? And, and what about the composition? And then you start to really dive into how their eye moves from left to right or right to left. And, you know, and, yeah. and it's it's pretty cool once you start paralleling those two and, and you realize, and I just realized right now, it's like, well, sight, sight, smell, all those things are, are just senses and there are nuances to, to all those senses. And I guess when you're being a creative individual, you kind of have to dive into those nuances to give something or give someone something fresh instead yeah. of just like, boom, here's the product and go enjoy it. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. We all, so we all start with like connect the dots and paint by numbers and, right. and uh, before you know it, you're Picasso, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, what, what was like the, biggest learning curve for you or, or was there a learning curve for you in terms of photography you know how was that like for you when you first picked up the camera for sure there's a huge learning curve I mean I, I didn't know anything about photography I think I took one photography class in high school and I, I didn't pay attention so <laughs> and especially with today's cameras like they're so so advanced and there's you know there's just the interplay between all these different features and and you know how that changes the end result so from a technical aspect and just like a, a photography basics side of thing for sure there mm-hmm. was a, a huge steep learning curve but man youtube's your friend like i literally think you can learn anything <laughs> youtube you university yeah exactly <laughs> so uh that was super super helpful when i first started but yeah i would say that that, that was like the biggest thing for just picking up the camera and then going into this career full time i think the biggest thing would just be the business side of it, right? The networking and just understanding like how important that part is. And that's one thing that you probably can't learn on YouTube. Like there's lots of different theories and ways to go about it, but man, there's no, like, there's no set path. You know, I get people asking me all the time and I used to ask a lot of people, it's like, Hey, how do you, you know, how do you get to work with some of these companies or like, how do you get your name out there? And, and yeah, it's tough because there isn't like a set path. I don't think anyways, if you have a golden ticket, please tell me. <laughs> yeah, if there was a golden ticket, man, let me know. You know, we're still trying to find it. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's um I think that was for us at least in MSM, I think that was kind of a naive strategy that we thought was going to be successful was just like, oh, let's look at all the companies, you know, that are in this space and let's just go to them and like talk to them and you know, see if we can get some work and lo and behold, that's not how things work. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not how things work. And obviously it was a learning curve for the business and more so because you're providing something that is, I wouldn't say hypothetical, but it's a, it's not like, um, man, I, I can't even describe it. It's, it's, it's a service, but then at the end of the time, it's a creative service, right? So it's, it's so tough to provide someone a price on that, that creativity yeah. or sure. There's that like, end asset of short film or like, you know, a couple pictures. But that was always one thing was how do you put a price on how people think differently or, you know, someone's creative eye, you know, do you, do you charge per hour? Do you, you know, is it lump sum? Is it, you know, so so that in itself was like such a hard thing for us to, to do with, you know, to, to have trial and error with was, was pricing it correctly. I, I don't know what have you faced in the business that you just didn't have, you know, any idea about or, or just completely shocked you. I think pricing pricing is probably a huge one because I mean mm-hmm. there's like the yeah, it's so hard to have like a, a tangible value to the stuff that we create, right? And especially right. with how 
quickly everybody seems to have a camera out there, right? Whether that's your iPhone, which takes great pictures now, or mm-hmm. or a little point and shoot. I mean, everybody has a camera and there's so much content out there. So right. I, I think just like the business model is changing. I don't really know where it's going to go, but yeah, it's super hard to to place value on that stuff, especially when the market's like super flooded these days. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. So being nine months in, you know, how have you kind of gotten over that hump and, and gotten over that problem of like, hey, I'm another guy that's doing photography, videography as well, but here's why I think I'm valuable to you. How have you kind of like surpassed that? I think it's just a comfort thing. It's, you know, as I went into this full time, all of a sudden, you know, people start reaching out, they're looking for content or they're looking for you to do some work for them. And so you just kind of get a, uh, I started to get a sense of confidence or um, in kind of my abilities and mm-hmm. just knowing that, Hey, you know what, like what I'm doing is I'm going down the right track and people are interested and yeah. slowly you can kind of, yeah, I just I start to put a bit more value on the work that I do do. And then once I was at a spot where I was comfortable enough that I've got enough money coming in in this first couple of months, and I'm like, hey, you know what? Like, I, I'm not going to be starving. I'm not going to be a starving artist. <laughs> then all of a sudden, you know, you're bullied even more. I was a bit more confident to like stick to my guns. So when someone says, hey, like, you know, can I get X amount of pictures or can you do this video for this amount of money? In the first couple of months, I might have been like, yeah, like I'll take it for you know, for five bucks, I'll do whatever you want. I'll make you a feature length film. But, uh, but once you get that confidence and you see that what you're doing is on the right track, you're on the right track, then I think, yeah, you just have the confidence to say, you know what, like, no, there's a value to it. And I think this yep. is what it is. And, and this is why I think that because it holds up to who I think would be comparable in the content creation space. And I've talked to them and, you know, this mm-hmm. is, you know, I think I'm in the right ballpark. So. Yeah, absolutely. So within the, the, past nine months, you know, what's your client base looking like? Not specific clients, but is it all hunting? Is it a mix? Is it commercial clients? You know, crazy enough, it's it has been all hunting. And I haven't done a ton of commercial stuff. There, there's definitely been some, but actually, you know what? It's probably a pretty even split between commercial for like a company. And then the other part would be for a private client. And that's yeah. kind of, I just kind of stumbled into that. Interesting. I, yeah, I have a friend who did it, uh, who does it for some private clients. And so I was aware of the possibility. And I know a couple of really good outfitters in BC. Um, and so I kind of reached out to them and just a long shot. I was just like, hey, man, like, you know, I know you got a bunch of hunters coming this year. Do you have any that would be interested in yeah. having me document it? And I think we're, I'm lucky in the sense that these guys are doing like what could be a once in a lifetime hunt. And yeah. it's something that they want to share with their family back home and I have the ability to go and capture it. So yeah, I kind of lucked out and I stumbled into a couple of private clients. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that was always something that I've, I've wanted to get into as well. Before we, we had the team, it was like, you just kind of wanted to see who could go out there and be like, Hey, you know, almost because you, you wanted to go on that adventure with them. Right. Because like you said, it's usually like a once in a lifetime hunt. It's like, man, yeah. I wonder if I could like go with this guy on his once in a lifetime hunt and just live vicariously through him yeah. and he's going to pay me, you know, yeah. or he or she is going to pay me, <laughs> but no, that's, that's awesome. So what kind of hunts have you, have you been doing? They've actually been mostly sheep hunts. So I've done a couple of sheep hunts for one client. There was a, a California bighorn in there. And then there was actually a hunt on Tiburon for desert sheep. So that was like, when he mentioned that, I was like, I couldn't believe it. Right. Like here I was, I was, I think I was like two months into my, my new career. And uh, I had a guy ask me if I was available to come down to Mexico to film this desert sheep hunt on Tiburon. And like Tiburon's got this lore of 
sheep hunting and yeah, yeah like a, a dream hunt for so many people. So it was pretty cool. And then uh, I did a couple more hunts that were, or I said, I did one more hunt that was down in the Baja. So that was mm-hmm. for just a different type of desert bighorn. That's super cool. That's yeah. like completely, I wouldn't say completely different environment, but drastically different from Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And for those of you guys listening, I'm, I'm, pale with a touch of red to my beard so i fried super fast (laughs) oh man that's crazy yeah you know it's um it's pretty amazing how quickly someone's career can jumpstart you know when you you really go into it full-time and you dedicate you know your efforts and resources into pursuing certain avenues right because it's almost like you you get into it and there's there was that fear before you got into it. And yeah. after you get into it, you're like, it's not fear anymore. It's like a sudden realization that, oh man, I, I got to make this happen or else I am going to be a starving artist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. Well, it's funny. I, I've talked to a couple people about this. I'd be curious what your experience is like, but yeah. when I got into it, I don't believe in horoscopes or karma or yeah, like, you know, yeah. kind of like the, the cosmic, you know, that goes around, comes around kind of thing. But yeah. man, I, as soon as I got into it full time and I just, said to myself that, Hey, this is what I'm going to do. I I felt like I didn't even have to put in a lot of work to put my name out there. I felt like all of a sudden, you know, people just kind of knew that I was doing it full time and, and, uh, they approached me. So yeah, it was kind of surprising, like thinking that I was going to starve. And then all of a sudden, like just deciding it for myself and all of a sudden these projects kind of start coming your way. And, Mm -hmm. and even now, like, you know, as you know, our business is so funny because you pitch all these projects or you have projects, people that are interested in something. And then all of a sudden, you know, whatever, two weeks before it's like, Hey, you know what? We can't do the project anymore. Yeah. And like, Oh, absolutely. You know, yeah. yeah. The bottom falls out, but then all of a sudden something else just fills its place. Like the next mm-hmm. day, it's crazy how it just kind of balances itself out. So I, yeah, I no, absolutely. Yeah. I, I you know, we were actually just talking to Adam Foss about the same thing. You know, he's like, yeah, you might have like 20 irons in the fire and suddenly all those 20 irons don't pan out and then you're freaking out because yeah. you got bills to pay. But then suddenly just as, as fast as that, as that happened, five other things come your way and they need it now. And it's like, Oh crap. Like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know? So yeah, there's, there's a, there's a mix of both, but it's, it's like a, it's definitely a roller coaster. Yeah. And Phil and I, my, my partner, we always kind of joke around about this, but we're always so anxious watching our emails for, you know, a decision on a big proposal that just came back and we're like, oh man, when are they going to email? When are they going to email? And you're, you're just like so anxious about it, you know, because it's not just, just me or, or Phil, it's, you know, Antonio and, and Dave and, and the guys that we, you know, we, we have in, in our stable. Yeah. So we're, we're always so stressed and, you know, it's, it's like the lows are really low, but then you get an email, random email that's like, Hey, you know, like we're good to go or, or, Hey, you know, let's do this project. And suddenly you're on the really high again. You know? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> but I, I assume that everybody in the industry understands that and gets that as well. For sure. Yeah, I think so. It's funny. I, an email just popped up my phone as, as we're talking there and it's about a project <laughs> that I'm pitching. So it's like, I've never cared so much about my personal email before and yeah. until now, you know, when you go to your own. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's, um, Working remotely and working with like spread out clients is is interesting because, you know, we were just talking about this before the podcast, but everybody's so spread out and there is no weekend, right? It's just the week or the month. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So how's, um, how's that transition been for you? 
in terms of just kind of like the amount of work and stuff like that and like yeah just the nine. amount of work and being able to say hey this is when my week does end and yeah you know or vice versa my week never ends oh shit <laughs> I, yeah, I haven't gotten there yet it's just it just keeps going <laughs> yeah I, i'm definitely not there i'd love to say that i i booked myself off for two days a week or something like that or like yeah, even yeah. that i only work whatever eight or ten hours a day or something like that but yeah right now i feel like it's my first year of business and i damn well better be working 16, 18 hours a day. So yeah, I, I haven't gotten there yet, but it's something that I know I'll, I'll need to work towards at some point in the next kind of year, mm-hmm. just for my own sanity. Yeah. Yeah. So what's, what's a day to day like for you? You know what? It's pretty, I mean, it kind of changes all the time. It really depends obviously if I'm out on a trip somewhere at that point, like all other work stops because you're, I'm usually out in the middle of nowhere, right? With no access to any, any electronics. Right. right. So if I'm out there doing that, that's pretty self-explanatory. I'm, I'm documenting something or capturing something. And then back home, yeah, I'd say fair amount of editing, whether that's photos or working on, you know, a video project here or there. I've got some companies that I work with that have um, deliverables, like a monthly deliverable. So there's always yeah. kind of like small little projects to kind of chip away at. And then at this time of year, and I would say maybe the last like month or two, up until now is just trying to figure out what I'm going to do for the year, essentially. Yeah. So, you know, talking about the creatives time. and yeah, <laughs> exactly. Trying to figure out whether or not you got a full year or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, yeah. that's the, that's great. I, yeah. I mean, it's, it's so cyclical, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's almost like August through January, December is, is hunting season. And everybody like, it's like, everybody just can't be reached because they're, they're out in the field or, yeah. you know, they're, it's just go, go, go. And then, the end of December hits and then it's getting ready for show season. And then, you know, everybody ha- is just like almost like hung over from the hunting season or whatever. And they get into the show Yeah, that in itself is, is a real hangover. And then, you know, you come back from the shows and there's like a month where it's just like dead silent because everyone's just, you know, catching up on stuff and organizing themselves from the past year. And then, yeah, like it's then it's time to start pitching and start working proposals and bids because new budgets are coming in. And then, you know, figuring out what's what's going on for the rest of the year. And April hits, and it's like, boom, you're you're just off running. And suddenly, you know, you start it all over again. Hunting season's here, and and it's just, it's just crazy. And um, yeah, you know, we're fortunate to have a, a pretty diverse client base that isn't just hunting and fishing. So we do get get that kind of breather and the income stream throughout the year like the you know we were just talking about the jet boats like it, it doesn't really matter if it's hunting season or not they're always doing yeah. something which is super nice like that that'd be a great tip for anybody that's in the, the hunting yeah. specific content creation space would be like yeah just try and try and diversify a little bit so yeah you got, absolutely you know, the income throughout the year yeah, absolutely what, what and, you, sorry go ahead no, I was just going to ask, like, do you, so I'm not a very structured person. So when it comes to like my day to day, like I don't have a lot of structure, you know, in the office I did back in the day, but what do you do in terms of like day to day? Like, do you set aside, Hey, I need to set aside, you know, an hour in the morning, I answer all my emails and then I, I'm going to set aside like an hour to, to just brainstorm pitches or like, like, how do you structure your day if you're not out on a shoot? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I don't know, actually, I don't even have my journal here, but I have this kind of journal that every day I you know, I, I write down priority items and then at MSM, we have three priorities, one, two, and three. Yeah. And we, we use this project management software called Asana okay. just because it, it just has everybody's to-do list. It has literally from projects to, you know, meeting agendas to branding, you know, even trade show season 
planning, right? Because we're planning for the next trade show season, putting together our own quote unquote little budget for dinners and and things like that. So, you know, every day or or every week we have kind of like a MSM, Hey, what needs to get done this week? What's the priority? And we have what's called like a CRM, a client relationship management system that Phil runs. And, you know, we kind of go through that list and say, Hey, who do we need to check in with? You know, who have we received a response on X, Y, Z? And so we start filling our our week based on that, like meeting on Monday. And then from there, we kind of block time out like, okay, let's block time out to, you know, to have a conference call with this company to check in, you know, let's email this person by this date. So it it differs day to day, but it's always, it always goes back to what's the current priority. Yeah. You know, like we were just talking before the podcast about, you know, pre-production stuff. So right now it's, Pretty much just all handling the, the producing part, you know, passports, uh, you know, getting these brands dates on when we're doing X, Y, Z proposals, yeah. uh, you know, even, you know, creative briefs, PR nightmares, <laughs> um, you know, we have a product launch coming out in, in May. So we're, you know, we're kind of trying to shepherd everyone for that. So it really differs. And that, you know, that's, that's actually why we, we love this industry because there's so much to do. Yeah. You know, there's so much to do. And I think a lot of people think that all we do is kind of just sit around a computer and edit. And then when we're not editing, we're like out having fun in the yeah. field. But it's it's like, I think yesterday we were on the phone for, you know, because I had that like tracker thing on my phone and, and how much time we spent on each app. And it's pretty crazy. Like it'll tell me, you know, I've, I've spent five hours on the phone today. Yeah. And then, you know, podcasting, that takes a big chunk of time. Um, that we didn't think it was going to take a big chunk of time, but I guess it, it does. <laughs> so yeah, I, that's kind of my long-winded answer, but it it just differs. Like we have a structure, but at the same time, it, it differs so much that we can't really block out like, oh, like nine to, to two, like emails right. or, you know. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, what about like in terms of like giving yourself like creative space to, mm-hmm. to, dream up new ideas or even just to like find inspiration somewhere. Like for me, I always tell myself, Hey, you know, it'd be great if I like sat down for an hour every day and like, just like thought up ideas and just wrote them all down kind of thing. But I just find that it's too hard to like, like I don't get inspiration like that or I don't get creative like that. For me, it's like you could be driving down the road and all of a sudden my mind just starts wandering and it's like, Oh, like that would be awesome. So what do you, what's your kind of like your, your space? Does it just kind of come to you or do you like force yourself to create that space and that time to, get creative. Yeah, that's that's actually a really really good question and you know I'm going to switch it back to you after um it is really important right because I, I think it's it's almost like we were we were talking about the question of left brain right brain thing. Yeah. It's almost like some people need that left brain to tell the right brain like hey dude like you got to sit down and and do your creative stuff, you know, but and then there are some people that are just like totally right brain right brain like where they they just let it flow. I think for me it's it's a little bit of both where every morning I, when I do plot out my day or I, I email people, I'll, I'll kind of look at my schedule and say, Hey, you know, maybe I should just kind of take 15 minutes to, to write about this or, or dive into this voiceover or, you know, brainstorm with, with our storyboard artist. But usually I think the way that we have our infrastructure set up with the priorities, we're able to, and this is because we have, we have a team and Phil is really good at, at kind of catering to, to when I have these crazy moments. Like you said, you're, you're driving down the road and then you're just like, 
oh, dude, I, I have to explore this project, right? Yeah. Um, then it's like, okay, so-and-so needs to explore this. Who can do this or who can email this person and who can get on the conference call so that we can clear space for that person to pursue that idea? Because right. we know that it might not come to fruition unless that person dives into it when that seed is planted. Yeah, for sure. So, so, yeah, so you guys are fluid, right? Like when inspiration strikes, it's like you guys are fluid enough that you're able to say, hey, you know what? We need to just yep. like, yeah, dude, take half an hour and kind of run with it. Like I got you covered on the whatever yep. the emails. and Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it, it took a little bit of time to to kind of figure that out. It definitely had its growing pains, I think. And, you know, back in my architecture days, it was like, you know, you, you had to sit down and, and have little design charrettes or, or design meetings, you know, where you have five, six people sitting around with trace paper and pens and like doodling and, you know, mm. and talking to each other and things like that. But so I, I kind of want to replicate that kind of sp- like spontaneous, like, hey, let's let's go into the conference room and, and draw out this idea. Yeah. So we kind of took like that structured part and try to figure out how to make it f- more fluid, especially because all of us are remote, right? We we don't have yeah. the luxury of like, hey, like meet me at the conference room. I mean, we have an office in DC, but Phil and I have used it like twice. <laughs> I, I went there for the first time like last month, you know, but so yeah, I mean, what about yourself? Do you have a day, a uh, point in the day where you sit down and you kind of jot down notes or uh, not really for me. It's like what if, if lightning strikes and I use that term loosely, it's not always lightning, but it could yeah. be just a spark. But if there's a spark, then I'll, I'll just kind of go with it, you know, when I can, like, you know, obviously mm-hmm. in the moment, but you know, I'll take it as far as I can. I'll make some notes and I uh, are just kind of file it away and then uh, go from there. But yeah, well, it's interesting because we're in different boats in the sense that I work alone. You know, I'm just starting out. So I'm the mm-hmm. that I work with. Obviously I'll, I'll collaborate with other creatives sometimes, but it's yeah. kind of few and far between where, when you're talking about working with your team there, it reminds me of how much I enjoy working with other people. Yeah. I think yeah. some people work quite, quite well alone and they're able to generate ideas and kind of like talk themselves through it on their own. Whereas I, uh, and this is the same in my chef career. I get a lot of benefit out of working with other people. So yeah. it's like, yeah. I'll create something. Sometimes I have a hard time being critical or the, the opposite. I'm like overly right. critical. I'm like, this dish sucks or like this right. picture sucks Right. where you just need like, I just need a little bit of feedback. It's like, you know what? I like it, but I just don't like this aspect of the dish or this aspect of the photo. And so just getting that feedback is super helpful for me to kind of guide myself yeah. and then kind of like keep evolving whatever it is I'm, I'm trying to create. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is a, it could be a drawback sometimes because there are, no pun intended, but there are a lot of cooks in the kitchen, you know, (laughs) you know, it's, you know, there's a lot of people looking at it. Everybody has, you know, their, their little bit to say, or, or, you know, what they think about this photo or or that proposal or this treatment. And yeah, it it could be tough, but I think, like you said, once you all realize that, Hey, we're, we're here to make this product better. We're not here to, you know, if I say it tastes bad, or if I say it looks bad, it's, it's because it either does or that's what I think. Yeah. And, you know, it, it takes a lot of courage to to speak up and a lot of courage to be like, oh, okay, yeah, you're right. Maybe, maybe my work isn't as good as I thought it was, or maybe, you know, you're wrong. You know, yeah. maybe he's right. It's, yeah. but yeah, it, it is a really cool work environment. And yeah, how, how do you kind of combat that? Do you, do you kind of talk with other people? Do you send pictures to friends and, and say, hey, what do you think of this? 
It's funny that you mentioned that because I was literally like two days ago before I started kind of like thinking about the podcast, I was mm-hmm. like, man, you know what? Like I haven't got any like solid feedback on my work in a while aside yeah. from, you know, whether a client buys something or not, right. In terms of an image. So yeah, I was literally just thinking that I, I, it's probably time for me to reach out and like send just some random shots to some of the creatives that I respect and just say, Hey, what do you think? And love your honest feedback. What, you know, wh- where am I missing? Where am I hitting? That kind of thing. So yeah, yeah I've just been too busy to, to do that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's and it's it's awesome that you're you're doing that. And I think for a lot of creatives out there, it it could be it, or it can be a very insular job, you know. Because like mm-hmm. you said, it's like you're you're out there, you're you're filming, and you're you're taking pictures, and suddenly you rush back, and you're just like editing just to try to meet deliverables. Yeah. And sometimes it, it does take a little bit of time to sit back and ask someone, "Hey, was this like my best work?" Or yeah, what do you think? You know, could yeah. I have done something better? And, you know, hey, I hope that this is what this podcast could be for, too, you know, is, hey, what do you think of my work or what do you think this person's work? And just having that really important dialogue that I think sometimes we, we miss the mark on a yeah. little bit instead of yeah. like, hey, what, do you, what gear are you shooting on? You know, I feel yeah. like it's like, what, what gear are you shooting on? And like, and what, what kind of boots do you run and what kind of yeah, camera body yeah. is that? Or, or what were your settings on that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the infamous uh, questions, right? Yeah. <laughs> So in that regard, you know, do you still keep ties in the kind of like cooking world at all? I do for sure. Yeah, it's a big passion of mine still. I mean, I I never lost that passion. So I see it kind of as a unique skill set and a unique business opportunity for myself in the sense that I believe that they're... The narrative is changing in the hunting world in terms of our connection from what we do on the field to what we serve on the plate. And Mm -hmm. it's fantastic. But I just think... I, I just, I always think we could do better at it yeah. um, or talk about it more, especially as, you know, as hunting comes under attack from so many different angles nowadays. Right. So yeah, I, uh, I'm trying to incorporate that as much as I can. I do some work with Leupold. So we've created, they created, sorry, a series called Field to Table. Um, yeah. And so I, I'm doing some projects with them this year around animals that have gone out and hunted and, and the meat that I brought back and just connecting the dots and connecting, especially that final dot all the way back to the truck and then, you know, back to the dinner table. So you can check it out on the website. They, I think we've done two now, just about to do yeah. a third one tomorrow. Yeah. And essentially it's some pretty basic, but delicious recipes that'll take you through how to process wild game and what you can do with it. So yeah, yeah if you're interested in some wild game recipes, you can go check that out. And then I'm trying to do more cooking at home and, and just kind of show that on my Instagram, but sometimes I get a little bit caught up at work so yeah absolutely and you know i I hope you don't mind me saying this but i'm I'm looking at your kitchen here and you've got a ton of like pans and stuff hanging from your ceiling and and obviously i'm going to try to correlate this back to to hunting and and just cooking in general right how has it been for you being a chef being a chef in, in the industry for 20 years you know there's obviously a lot of appliances and different pots pans utensils all this stuff that you could use to create you know, a dish, yeah. right? But then in the backcountry, you know, I've seen you just cook with like paper plates and a jet boil. And, you know, like how, how do you, how do you think that's kind of informed how you look at, at cooking and just going from, from a very refined space with a kitchen, with everything you need to create something to, hey, how can I just simplify like this, you know, cut of elk or this pheasant breast? Yeah. Good question. 
I think I'm probably lucky in the sense that my natural style of cooking is probably pretty, it's pretty simple. Like I, I don't mm-hmm. do a ton of complex stuff for myself. Right. So when I go out in the field and I'm forced to even become maybe a little bit more basic, it's actually kind of a nice thing, mm-hmm. right? Like, like yeah. I, cause it's also easy to get caught up in the kitchen where it's like, you just end up using 10 different pans and, and pots and stuff like this to create one dish. And I used to do this all the time. And my friends are like, oh my God, like look at the dishes you have from, from one meal. It's crazy. But that was like, it's kind of a striving for perfection thing, right? It's like, yeah, my friends might put all these different vegetables on one roasting tray and put it in the oven. But I know that this is going to cook faster than this. And I want like a different color and different cook on this. So it's like, I'm going to use three pans. So it's kind of nice going to the backcountry and and just cooking with very basic utensils or equipment or, you know, product in that sense. And I think, yeah, I think yeah, I'm totally comfortable doing that because my style is pretty rustic. So. Yeah, yeah, that's that's cool. And and you know, I, I I'm gonna try to link it back to photography. You know, I sometimes like you said, people get so bogged down into all the different gear that they need to carry into the backcountry or on set to try to make a, a cool image. And sure, you know, I mean, yeah, there are certain times where more lights and, and more hands equals a better image, but sometimes you can just get a really great image with hey, just like a nifty fifty and totally. you know, uh I don't know, just like a down, like a used camera or something. Yeah. So I, I think there, that there's always these parallels from different industries that seemingly don't connect. But then when you start talking about it, you're like, oh man, like, yeah, you know, that kind of yeah. makes sense. Yeah, we face the same struggles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So how do you stay, you know, creatively fresh, whether, you know, you're cooking or whether you're, you're photographing or taking video? It's funny because some of the questions that you had sent in the email, it had me thinking about creativity. And I think like genuine, true creativity is I actually, I think it's kind of rare. I think a lot of people have the ability to be creative or, or we all have the ability to be creative. But I think for me anyways, I, creativity comes from, it's kind of fueled through passion and imitation. And so this kind of goes back to my cooking career as well, where, you know, I am passionate about what I do. I'm passionate about creating content or, or photography, sure. I should say, or making a film. I'm passionate about cooking, but I don't have a lot of like super original creative ideas, I think. But what I do have is I have a vast network of inspiration. So I'm passionate. I'm always kind of in the in that field and being exposed to other creatives, you get inspired. And I think you pick up a lot of things from different places. So the analogy that I would always give a, a young chef back in the day is when you're making a like a, a basic chicken stock, there's a million different ways to do it and everyone's got a different one. And so when you go out there in the field, you've got maybe this basic one that you've learned from a book, but you're going to learn five different types from five different chefs. And mm-hmm. when you finally have your restaurant, you know, you kind of like your sixth restaurant you work at and it's yours, that stock is going to be a blend of everything that you've learned from those five different people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I guess I, I really don't think I'm that much of a creative person. I'm just passionate and I'm inspired by what other people do. And so mm-hmm. uh, if I see someone do something really cool, it's like, man, I, I love the perspective or I love what they've done with the colors to tell a better story with this this image. You know, I'll, I'll probably try and go recreate something like that. But, you know, you take a bit of that and you take a bit of someone else that you like about something they did and you put those mm-hmm. together and all of a sudden, I guess you have kind of created something you know, new or original yourself. But yeah, I, I think inspiration is kind of key. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and throwing you another question here based on that is what inspirations have you 
kind of gravitated to or, or what, you know, what forms of photography or, or any one in particular that you followed or always were inspired by? Yeah, I think for sure, like the mountain climbing community is a huge yeah. inspiration for me. I, I don't think I follow a ton of people in that community, but it's just always been something that I've been interested in. I remember being a kid and looking at this North Face poster. I still remember to this day, it was at the, the local mall where I, I went down. I don't know, I must have been like 10 years old or something, but there's mm. this guy standing on top of this mountain, tons of alpine glow in the back, and yeah. it's this like jagged little snowy peak with a bit, a bit yeah. of rock, and he was in this full yellow North Face suit, so he had like matching yeah. jacket and pants and had some black on it, and I just remember thinking that it was like the most badass thing I've ever seen, like, yeah. uh, I want to be this guy, I want to be standing on the top of the mountain, so... Yeah. I get a lot of inspiration from them. And I just think there's a lot of great photographers and content creators in that space. And there's Absolutely. something, something that I like about the mountain climbing community that I'd love to incorporate into more of what I do in terms of hunting. So, you know, I like the extreme stuff. I like the solo stuff. I like the mountain stuff. And I also like the locations that it takes us to the, the, the forms of travel that it takes to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, and also the technical side is super interesting. You know, like I'm not a climber. I, I climbed for like a year as a kid, but you know, just the technique that's involved with something like that. And yeah. how could I incorporate something more technical into what I do on a project when I'm out on a hunt? So whether that's, you know, learning about, you know, learning how to do like backcountry skiing to access yeah. some sort of hunt or, you know, learning to raft whitewater or something like that. So you can go up yeah. north and float down a river, you know, by yeah. yourself or something like that. Like that's yeah. super interesting. So that's what I got to say towards. Yeah, for sure, man. And I, I have to 150% agree with you on that <laughs> North Face stuff because I, I was one of those guys too. And, and we were just talking about this, you know, it's like, that's where MSM started was in the alpine climbing yeah. and, and I'm not knocking the hunting industry or anything, but I think, heck, six, seven years, whatever, 10 years ago, you know, I think that the, the marketing was, was lacking a little bit on telling the story of that adventure. Right. And I think that the climbing community and and North face, especially their campaigns was like all about the adventure, all about kind of reaching this like pinnacle of, of like every single motion when you're climbing and you're like summoning a huge peak and stuff like that. And I think it started to, I really do think it started to like bleed over from those communities because I mean, hunters aren't, I mean, this is a general statement, but I think hunters are generally just outdoors people, right? We hike, we climb, we kayak, whatever. And we do see those ads. Like you said, 10 year old Connor saw that and you're like, Hey, I'm a hunter too. Like, but now I bet that you're trying to achieve that same kind of imagery with your work. So I, I do think that that has started to bleed over and it's really exciting. It's really exciting because now For you're sure. seeing more hunters learn how to rock climb and, and like you said, backcountry ski and do all these, these things that kind of elevate the hunting in general and the adventure that comes with it. Well, and it's also opened up. I, I think it's opened hunting up to a new type of person. So there, you know, there are other, mm-hmm. th- those climbers or extreme hikers or ultra marathoners or, or anything like that. Like I think some of them are looking for maybe a bit different of a purpose or more of a purpose when they're in the backcountry. So you're starting to see some of these people who traditionally you might not be a hunter, right? They weren't raised mm-hmm. in a hunting family, but you know, they, they want to interact with nature more and they want to uh, have a, a different purpose out there. And so they're coming into hunting. So yeah, I, I think it's a win-win. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how was, um, you know, I, I was just going to ask, like, how is it putting that technical, for lack of a better term, 
a more technical approach to hunting, like, you know, using crampons and, you know, ice picks and, you know, sleds. How has that changed how you guys hunt? I think it's, uh, (laughs) it definitely fuels my gear addiction because I get to go and buy more (laughs) shit. (laughs) So so that's a a positive for me and a negative for the bank account. But yeah, uh, how has it changed it? I mean, I guess it's changed it for the better. I'm trying to think of like what it is specifically or how to like describe it, but it's just another aspect of what's involved in going out there and, and, you know, finding the adventure or getting the meat. Mm -hmm. You know, I think, I don't know, maybe I guess I have a bit of ADD. So like the thought of, and this is just me personally, I know we're all different, but I, you know, I wouldn't be satisfied to go out and just do like one type of hunting day in day out kind of thing like i i always kind of want to do something different so whether that's a different location or whether that's like yeah getting new gear so i think from that sense like it's good because it keeps me super interested right yeah. I, i'm not going back every single day and doing the, the same type of hunting for sure for yeah. sure yeah i think i was pretty envious when i saw you guys strap on your crampons and i was like <laughs> oh man that looks so awesome you know I have <laughs> so it's 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 definitely cool man and you know i've I'm going to kind of try to link this up to another question is how, how do you think technology and, and this kind of gear craze has affected, you know, hunting and, and even the way that we take pictures? Yeah, I think technology is a, uh, it's totally a positive thing. I mean, um, yeah, we're able to do so much more. We're able to capture so much more extreme adventures, I think, or go, yeah. you know, more places now with the gear that we have. So I don't think there's any negative to technology and what it's done for us in terms of, you know, going back to that, like passion and inspiration leads to creativity mm-hmm. thing that I talked yeah. about. You know, you look at social media and, it, and it, it just opens up your sphere of influence. So I think it's a good thing in that sense, too. There's obviously a downside when you get, you know, hooked on it or you place too much importance on social media. But I think in terms of finding that inspiration, it's been a, a, an incredible thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So do you, in terms of finding inspiration, I mean, do you constantly look for new ways to, to stay creative, new ways to stay inspired? I don't know if I like actively look for them, but I'm always, I'll have like a note section in my phone mm-hmm. and then I'll also have a folder, just like a favorites folder yeah. in my photos. And so anything that captures my eye that, that I think is interesting, again, it's like we talked about that stock analogy. It's like, I like something about yeah. this photo. I'll save that or I'll make a note about something. But yeah, I wouldn't say like I'm out there actively like looking for inspiration. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so, you? Uh, you know, yeah, I, I think that I'm subconsciously active, I believe. Like, you know, we, I mean, day to day, we kind of just, I feel like we're fed so much information and we look through so much content, so many pictures, watch yeah. so many videos that, yeah, you kind of just have to have like a mind dump that's, oh, this is cool, boom, boom. Yeah. You know, and you, it's almost like you you see it, you like it, and you just like put it into this like corner And you probably never will never look at that little corner again. But then sometimes like on the off chance that you do click on it or, you know, you go into this folder, you're like, oh, man, like I totally forgot that I saved this. And, (laughs) you know, so, yeah, I think that all of us kind of subconsciously are inspired or or we we do subconsciously seek inspiration. But we we don't really know how we get to that point. Like you said, you, you could be driving on the road one day and suddenly your mind starts to wander and then boom, there's like a, a piece that kind of just triggers that, right? Maybe you see, I don't know, something on the road that you probably didn't actively seek, but 
you were kind of thinking about something in that regard that like yeah. triggers that moment. I mean, one example is the stuff we talked about in Patagonia, you know, it was like, I, I don't even recall how I, I started going down that rabbit hole, but <laughs> you know, it's like we were talking about it and suddenly, you know, then you're starting to look at books and you're starting to look at, Hey, has someone done this before? And you kind of go down that rabbit hole of, of seeking that next breadcrumb to that yeah. big idea. Um, so, so let me ask you, have you had anybody on or, or do you know any other creatives that shelter themselves from outside influence? I haven't heard a lot of people do this, but I have heard some people who would say that, you know, they, they don't look at any hunting films because they create hunting films and they don't want to be influenced by other people's mm-hmm. work, you know, or, or they don't want to, because even like subconsciously, you can look at a picture, save yeah. it, never look at it again, but two years down the road, you might capture something that's like very, very similar you know, subconsciously just kind of, you see the same thing and you capture it. So yeah. Do you know anybody who kind of like sequesters themselves from other influence? You know, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think I've met anyone that knowingly like, Oh, I I just can't watch that. Or I can't look at this person. But I, I think that there's a, there's a big difference between watching something for inspiration and watching it for enjoyment. Mm. I, I believe a, a lot of us, because we do have a big passion for, for the imagery that comes out in this industry, we, we watch it because we enjoy that person's work. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like we're, we're sitting there with a notebook, like, all right, timestamp one minute and 25 seconds. He <laughs> uses like rule thirds, you know, like, and of course yeah. we've done that too, where, you know, like our, our team, we've, we've sat down and, and watched Yeti presents videos and we're like, okay, what's kind of their formula here? Yeah. You know, it's very successful. Let's study it. Yeah, yeah, sure. There's some times where we sit there and do that. Yeah. And then there's other times where, you want to just watch a video because it's inspiring or it it's funny, you know, and you watch it, it evokes a lot of cool emotions. And like you said, you forget about it. And then, I don't know, a couple days later, a couple years later, you're subconsciously inspired by what you just saw. Maybe you don't actively think about it, but so, yeah, I don't think I've really met anyone that says I'm not going to watch something because I don't want to copy it or I don't want it to affect my, my work. To be honest, I think, and this is just my opinion, but I think if you were to do that, I don't believe that your craft would, you know, I don't think that your craft would get better. Yeah. Maybe it will, but maybe it won't, you know, because you, you kind of need to know what's out there to keep pushing the envelope. You got to know, you know, what people are doing. You got to know what is the standard of telling the story and, and just seeing what the community is putting out there. And, you know, we, we just talked with Keith Ailes from Mountain Ops last night and he puts out, you know, he, he shoots and, and puts out like 10 films a year. And sometimes he's like, Hey, you know, it might not be my best work or I might not think it's my best work, but we put it out there so that we can see what the engagement is like and how people resonate with it. Do they, you know, do they like it? Do they not like it? And then from there you go back to the drawing board every time, yeah. you know, and you're like, Oh, well, you know, this didn't work. So let's try to find a new way to creatively show a kill shot or not show a kill shot. And you won't really know until you put yourself out there. Yeah. It's interesting when you talk about Keith and the, like the amount of films that he puts out and stuff like that. He does great work. And, and when you talk about him, maybe not being totally satisfied with something or, mm-hmm. you know, saying that it's not his best work. The the few films that I've done, and I don't find, it's not so much with pictures, it's more films when you're, you're mm-hmm. telling like a full story like that. But quite often, 
you know, it's like crunch time, like you, you got to hit a deadline. Maybe the client's happy, but you're just not happy. Like there's always yeah. what you're satisfied with. How do you, how do you deal with that? Like, because I could continue to just like make small edits on a film for, sure. you know, for the next year kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But at some point you got to say like, Hey, enough is enough. And like, it's, yep. you kind of got to say either, yeah, it's, it's going to kill it out there. I'm just being nitpicky or, Hey, you know what? Like it's good enough to show. Do, you got any tips or tricks or like, how do you know when something's like complete? Well, I think it's, it's a hard balance, like you said. And actually Liza Sauter, you know, she asked me the same question. She's a, like a social media consultant and she kind of asked like, Hey, how do you balance that want to be perfect or that, that desire to give a brand or a client the standard of something or something that's a trend? And how do you balance that with like what you truly are okay with putting out there? And I think at the end of the day, if you're, if you had fun creating it, if you truly believe that it is a great piece and it's on brand and makes your clients happy yeah, it's it's never going to be perfect. You know, it's never going to be perfect, but you just have to kind of sit back and be like, okay, did it did it achieve the majority of my goals? Does it make my client happy? Does it check yeah. off these things? Does everybody involved think that you know it, it's it's a good piece? And sure, you're going to have one guy that's like, oh, you know, timestamp fifty five seconds. You know, some guys like picking his nose or yeah, sure. At that point you're like, okay, that is a legitimate thing that we need to go and change. But if someone's like, Oh, you know, we should punch up the correction by like plus one or, you know, I think you could, yeah, like you said, you can go down that rabbit hole and, and spin yourself in circles and chase your tail all the time. But it's, it's some of these things can't be, can't be perfect. Right. Yeah. And you just have to let go of it. And yeah, just, go with the flow. And I know it sounds very cliche, but I don't think that it helps you in the long run about worrying of those little things. Yeah. And of course it, it does help being detail oriented and, and nailing certain things like audio and, and, you know, certain shots need to be composed well, but you're going to kill yourself creatively if you get bogged down with that stuff. For sure. And do, you, do you watch much of your stuff later on? Like, you know, would you go back and and watch a film that you made six months ago or three months ago? Or like, what's your reaction? Say you go to a premiere or it's shown yeah. somewhere and you see it up there. Do you enjoy watching it? or do You, you know, we don't really watch the stuff that we create again. Yeah. And I think when we do have on the off chance, when we do pull it up for some random reason, we, we kind of just laugh. And, and it's it's more of like a, I can't believe we did that, or like I can't, you know, it's why did we even create this piece, right? Um, I'm so and happy to hear this because this is yeah, the exact yeah, same for it's me. like, but it, it's part of growing, you know, it's yeah. part of growing because it, you're only as good as as your last product or your last shoot or you know so it's if we go back and we and we look at it and we're like oh dude this was so amazing like oh this is the best thing ever then you yeah, probably you haven't evolved <laughs> you haven't evolved since that point in time yeah no, um, i agree yeah so it's yeah no we, we really don't watch our, our stuff again and you know it's it's interesting because I, I also had someone else ask me like do you ever you know does msm ever try to recreate something from the past for a client like if a client was like scrolling through our feed or watch something and they're like, Hey, can you like recreate that? Usually we'll probably say no. But like, like recreate from the existing content you have and form and make something new or go back out and reshoot it for them. Yeah. Like they'll say like, you know, for example, I think we on a, you know, on our IG feed, we did this stupid like VHS nostalgic 
quick little edit that that was just like really fun for us like we you know it was one of those moments where we were making fun of like uh old hunting shows you know that was all grainy and stuff and we're like oh dude you know how funny would it be if we just like did this stupid little piece and just kind of like made it seem like we're in this like 80s 90s fishing show and it was just really fun for us you know we we centered around the team and everyone's kind of laughing and like oh dude this is so cheesy and then we had a you know a, a client like hey can you do that again? And, and, you know, actually like put our footage into it. And we're like, uh, you know, it's to us, it doesn't feel right because it's yeah. like, you're, you're trying to force something, you know, yeah. you're trying to force something creative and it sure. Like we'll, we'll go back to them and be like, well, you know, okay. If you did like what we did, how can we improve on that? And how can we, yeah. you know, try to do something like it? I mean, yeah. I don't know. Has, has someone ever come to you in the kitchen? And they're like, dude, this is so good. Can you like, replicate it one for one and you're i mean you're probably like uh you you have no idea so you know yeah so it's it's kind of like the same right it's kind of like the same i guess the same feeling you're like uh i i can like technically i have the ability to do it but like it just feels weird to me to recreate something that you know i already know i already i already know the expectation and the outcome of it yeah so yeah i mean that's kind of just my spiel there but it's uh yeah i don't know (laughs) <laughs> no, it's it's good. I've never asked anybody that and, and thought maybe I was crazy, but yeah, I hate watching my old stuff. So I'm yeah. glad to know that it's not just me. Yeah, it's um and actually it's funny because we we had a I wouldn't say a situation, but we had a um you know uh someone come up to us at a trade show and the brand manager, you know, recognized me from a picture that their previous brand manager had posted on their feed like three years ago. It was like a picture, I think it must have been like the second or third picture on their Instagram feed like ever. And this was like a pretty big company. Yeah. And she, just by chance, I happened to be wearing like the same flannel, the same outfit that <laughs> I was wearing in that picture. And we pulled up that picture from like three years ago. And I looked at it, I was like, oh my gosh, like I can't believe. It's almost like they pulled up like a really embarrassing like childhood picture you know like i can't i can't believe we edited that picture like that or like i can't believe you know the filter on it looks so so bad and you know it's it's just but going back to what you said it's it's you know there are periods of time where yeah your your work kind of comes back on you and and you realize like wow you've either grown so much or you realize certain things that you've changed in your process i don't know I, i guess it would be similar to you following like an old recipe and you cook that recipe and you're like, Oh dude, this is like so salty. Why did I ever think that this was like a good dish? You know? (laughs) The the real question is how did you feel about having the same clothes on three years later? (laughs) I felt kind of proud because it was like, um, it was, it was a flannel, a Filson flannel that is like so faded. I mean, I've I've had it for forever and you know, I, I saw the Filson guys later and they're like, dude, that must be like, the most horrendous, like ratty looking flannel, but we love it. And that, it's like, it's, it's my little point of pride. My yeah. wife wants me to throw it away, but it's, it's one of my favorite pieces of clothing. That's funny. I'm just, I was just busting your balls. Flannel never goes in the style. You're got, good, man. I, I got the same, uh, probably the exact same Felsen. It's uh, just like a blue one, but yeah, it's so yeah. ratty, but love it. Yep. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, it, it has good memories in it. You know, like, of course that picture, it was like a, me and my dog sitting there. This was like before I was married, before I had my, my other hunting dog. And, you know, that flannel, I, we actually wrapped my puppy in when we got her. And, you know, so it's, it's just like a bunch of good memories. I get attached to that piece. Yeah. So nice. But 
so yeah, that that in itself is like a little source of inspiration, you know, that that subconsciously you don't want to get rid of because it, it does hold a, a lot of like memories in it. And when you yeah. wear it, you either you feel this is kind of another cliche word, but it's like you feel inspired to go out and capture something or, or you know, it makes you, you know. A hundred percent, man. Like what you just described to me, like my brain goes and starts thinking about, you know, it's a Filson ad and it's like, you know, seeing this brand new piece that, you know, starts off and, you know, you got yeah. your dog in it and then, you know, yep. goes through. It's crazy. Like where the inspiration comes from, right. Or where like the yeah. creativity yeah, comes absolutely. from. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. And it's, you never know, like I said, you never, you just never know what, what piece or what heck, what item, you know, what you have that, that will just put these little seeds of ideas into you. Yeah, um, and I think that's probably the closest you'll get to like a genuine creative moment. You know, when you're like, I don't know, you could be looking at some piece like I don't know. This is kind of a random item I just picked up. It's a Mountain Ops like ignite bottle. You know, it's like oh, and then I don't, I don't know. I start thinking about Alaska and how you know they were out there and how I talked to them yesterday, and you start thinking like, oh man, you know, I I talked to them about this project. Yeah, I never, you know, I never followed up on it. And suddenly, you know, you put it down and you're like typing away an email. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure that this happens to a lot of, a lot of us too, you know, we're kind of like scatterbrained in that manner. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Yeah. But so we, you know, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but we usually end the podcast with this very consistent question that we keep for everybody. And it's a tough one and feel free to take your time. But if you could, Go back in time and talk to a younger Connor. It could be the Connor from nine months ago when you first started this business, or heck, it could be the Connor from twenty years ago before you you started your career as a chef. Mm-hmm. What would you What would you say to him? Oh man, you know what? I I like to think that I don't have a lot of regrets in life. Like, even though this is my biggest passion in life right now is hunting and content creation and stuff like that, I don't regret my 20 years as a chef, I, I look back on it with, you know, gratefulness for having gone through and experienced that. And, and mm-hmm. I think that, you know, that makes you who you are essentially. So right. yeah, I really don't have a lot of things that I regret that I would like want to change because I think that, yeah, it all adds up and, you know, creates who you are today. But man, what would I say? I guess I would probably say, I'd go back maybe like, two years or something like that, or maybe like two and a half, three years, mm-hmm. something like that. When my passion for photography was like really starting to, to get going. And I mm-hmm. would just say like, don't hesitate. Don't wait. Like if that's your passion, you got to yeah. chase it. And I had a guy that I worked with for the last couple of years and he, he would always give me this advice and he wanted me to, to quit and pursue this dream. Yeah. And, you know, I made content for him too. So to work with him and stuff like that. And it's just, it's so hard to, I think for some people anyways, to take that leap. And yeah. uh, if I could go back, I would just say, man, like dude, sooner the better, like, you know, you're, you're not going to fail or not in the first nine months anyways. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and you're going to be happy chasing it and you're going to be happy knowing that you at least tried. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's, it's like that saying, you know, jump off the cliff and, and build your plane on the way down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I like that one. That's, that's awesome, man. Yeah. And, you know, the reason why we ask it and it's a consistent question is because we're, we're trying to find a, a recurring theme amongst right. everybody, you know, and it's, it does relate to that is, is take that leap and, and do something earlier, you know, don't think about it too much. And it's, it's been pretty cool to, to see what everybody's response has been. Yeah. 
So, what's the what's the best one so far? All of them are great, you know, because I guess it it just has to pair with the person. I mean, I, you know, one person's like just stop thinking about expectations, just like do what you got to do, you know, mm. just just and then another one, Kelsey, you know, she she's an artist and she was just saying like, you know, just follow that passion. Don't worry about what society's telling you you can and cannot make money in, you yeah. know, just just pursue it, you know, because you know, if you go that route, you'll be happy and you'll, you'll find success. It's everybody's been so different, but very similar. Mm. And I think everybody that we've had on the podcast has kind of taken that leap. You know, they, there are very few on the podcast that have done this, like as their sole job throughout. And even then they say like, yeah, pick up the camera earlier and, you know, stop thinking about, just stop thinking about, just do it. It's been pretty cool to see yeah. everybody's answers. Nice. May, I don't know. Maybe maybe that's a little seed of, of inspiration there or, or an idea. Maybe we will just cut, you know, cut up everybody's answers and put it into one big episode and people can listen to it, you know, totally. and see what the, the answers were. I like it. That'd be a good one. Do you ever, or do you follow and, and listen to Gary Vee? Yeah. I don't follow him per se. I, I've right. read one of his books. Yeah. I, I know everybody's like, super into him and, and yeah. you know, listen to his podcast, but I've not, not really. No. Yeah. He was pretty big for me. Like I don't follow him religiously or anything like that, but yeah, he's just got a great perspective on it yeah. in, in terms of like chasing your dreams. And he kind of breaks up kind of like the stigma or the expectation around like where you should be when you're like 25, where, where yeah. you should be when you're like 30 kind of thing. So he like, you know, he blew that out of the water and it's like, that kind of what helped me at 35. It's like, do I really want to change careers? Like that's crazy. Right. But then when you think about it, it's like, well, I hope to retire maybe like 60. So shit, I've got another, you know, 25 yeah. years. Like well, what's the big deal kind of thing? Yeah, so, um, yeah absolutely. Yeah, he's worth yeah. listening to. Yeah. And I think that's such a great point that you, you just made about, you know, just canceling out everybody's expectations. And, and even me as an architect, you know, I, I was in it for a pretty long time in relation to my age. And yeah, you're like, well, you know what? If it doesn't work out, whatever. Like, I can still go back and do that for another 30 years. Totally. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> and once you kind of abandon people's or even society's expectation of you, I think it does make you a lot happier. And you do pursue things with a almost like a renewed passion because you're like, you just know that you're going to make it happen and you're pursuing something that you love doing. Yeah. I mean, you're a perfect example of that. <laughs> <laughs> thanks i got a final question for you yeah man. so one of the questions that you had sent over was you know who is your favorite creatives whether it's an artist singer composer or whatever i'm curious yeah. just from a hunting content space or sorry not it doesn't have to be hunting content but just from like a an imagery stance who who do you follow that would be some of your favorites to look to inspiration from because yeah. i'm always curious to kind of like expand that and i know you're big in the in the mountain kind of community and stuff like that so yeah yeah you know that, that's so hard. It's, it's, you know, it, I, I don't want to sound mean to anyone, but it's like, I follow people, but then I don't really follow people. Like I, I don't visually follow, like as, as much as I am on Instagram or, or things like that. And, and, you know, it's like, I hate going through a, like getting into a scroll, scroll hole, you know, yeah. like we're just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And man, that's, that's so tough. I mean, obviously, you know, everybody in the hunting space, such as yourself, Stephen Drake, Heck, you know, Tyler Sharp over at Modern Huntsman, those guys yeah. are, you know, yeah. very inspirational. I, I love their books. I mean, I have them right here next to my desk. You know, it's, I think those are, are kind of like my um, industry inspirations. Yeah. You know, that 
I see everybody almost like everybody in this industry is almost like a coworker, right? It's like we we are in this like ginormous but yet very small world together, and that's kind of like my industry inspiration. But I think I read a lot. I read a tremendous amount, and I think that's where I I draw a lot of inspiration from. Not so much pictures. Yeah. To be honest, I I don't really draw a lot of inspiration from pictures. Oh, interesting. Because I I think that a picture can tell a story. It really can, but the story has to happen before that picture does. For sure. You know, and I think when you read and when you heck even listen to audiobooks, you you create these own you create these pictures in your mind that you then try to almost like replicate out of your brain. I know this might sound really weird, but even, you know, one of one of these books that that I read from my childhood is African Stories Afri- uh with, you know, Teddy Roosevelt mm, and yeah. his uh I think it was like his ecologist or like chief ecologist or expedition ecologist and you know him and his Teddy and his uh son Kermit. And you know you read through that and you start to think about like the elephant grass swaying in the wind. You start to think about mm. you know the imagery of of the rivers and the the nights and the stars and, and you I know I'm I'm getting like super poetic and, and whatnot and stop me if I, I'm <laughs> I'm going down that road. But no, you know no, I'm, I, I, I start yeah, thinking no, I, about it. Yeah I start thinking about it. I'm like man yeah. You know, one of these days I'm going to, something is, I'm going to see a situation where that story is just going to come back in my mind and I'm going to try to capture it to relay what I, I saw in my head. There's another book called, what is it? The Knights of the Shadow Catcher, I believe. I might be butchering that title, but actually it's it's a photographer based out of Washington and Seattle and kind of up along that, that West Coast. Yeah. He was a really well-known photographer that if you see like a picture, an old photograph of a, an American Indian, most likely he's the one that, that caught it. Man, what, oh, what yeah. is his name? But yeah, you start reading about his adventures as a photographer and what he saw in his subjects. And then you mentally and your imagination kind of takes over and inspires you to somehow recreate what that person saw through their eyes. Hmm. I don't know if that answers your question or not. But No, it does. <laughs> it, it's interesting because like usually I'd ask someone that and they might like rattle off a bunch of Instagram handles. But it's interesting when you talk about it like that because you know i think anyways most of the work that i see from me anyways is obviously visual right. and so when you when you get your inspiration from from reading books and from from written word kind of thing yeah. it's interesting how you would get inspired from that and you probably obviously create an image in your head of what they're describing yeah. and, and with it, when a, a great writer writes about you know the the serengeti in africa or something like that like it, mm-hmm. it can be super moving so uh, yeah. it'd be an interesting process to to take that and then you get to create the visuals yourself. Like they've got right. the written words, they're describing the scene, but from like a filmmaker standpoint, you could all of a sudden kind of imagine how you would capture that or how you would tell that story. So it's probably very liberating that way because you're not confined by an yeah. actual picture. The picture's yep. all in your mind. It's just, you know, the input that you're getting from the words. Right. And to be honest, that's, um, we built that into how we, we generate ideas and projects at MSM. We, the first thing that we do when we try to, you know, conceptualize a project is we write. We write a lot and we write scripts and we, we screenwrite, but we don't get into like the the shot list yet or whatever. We we just write. And then from there we we slowly start to tack on the more technical stuff, right? Okay, if that scene is how you described it, how would we technically capture that on camera, right? Mm-hmm. What's what's the shot? And then we we bring in a storyboard artist, a conceptual artist very, very early on. And we try to like pull that imagery out of our minds and have him 
draw it for us. Mm. Very that cool. way we're not going and looking at a picture that's already been produced and we're like, okay, that right there is what we're going to have to do. It's like whatever we see in our heads, we, we try to get our, our concept artist, David, to, to draw up for us. And then from there, we will we'll try to like mold that. Like, okay, you know, we did say mountains, but where we're going, are there really mountains to really do this scene justice? Like, mm-hmm. okay, we have a, you know, like a mountain biking scene that, you know, in our heads was really fast paced, blah, blah, blah. What are the challenges of literally running with or like setting a red camera onto a bike? You know, then we start <laughs> getting into the more technical details of it. Yeah. Um, but it's always, it always spans from reading and writing and kind of more sources of inspiration rather than just a visual source. Mm, that's uh, cool. I'm going to have to try that. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Just write and, I don't know, see if it, it works for you. But yeah. it's definitely helped us. And that, But again, that's just our workflow, right? Yeah. Some other people, they yeah, they have Pinterest or something. They look through a bunch of images and, and put mood boards together, put art boards together. That's also another cool way of doing things too is just a big art board and a mood mm-hmm. board. And yeah, we, we do some of those sometimes, but not too much. Yeah, cool. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Connor, man, thank you so much for getting on the show. This is this has been a phenomenal conversation. And of course, you know, we look forward to following your work this year and wish you the best. And I actually, I, I wouldn't even say wish you the best of luck because you don't need it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And yeah, thanks for having me on. It's just the topic was totally different than what I'm used to discussing. So it's interesting. I like that. Kind of makes you think. Well, it does make you think, obviously. So yeah, thank you very much. And man, let's put something together. Absolutely. Thanks, Gunnar. Yeah, have a good one. Thanks again for joining on today's episode of the Burning Creative Podcast. Don't forget to show us some love by sharing, subscribing, and following along on our website, theburningcreative.com. Until next time, keep the fire burning.